Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback, and I'm on a mission to help high school coaches keep their athletes happy and healthy. I love playing sports growing up. From backyard football to traveling basketball to high school track and field, there was nothing better than being on a team and playing to win a game. Unfortunately, I struggled with health issues, and I know your athletes do too. This inspired me to become a physical therapist and sports performance coach. This podcast will help coaches like you learn how to keep your athletes off the bench and in the game. Are your athletes getting the best rehab? How do you know that they are ready to go back to their sport after a serious injury like an ACL tear? Today, I talked to Drew Dudek to help answer these questions. Drew is currently a sports physical therapist at Healthy Baller in Alexandria, Virginia. We talk about what it takes to give athletes the best rehab possible and how this can be done in a cash-based model clinic that incorporates a weight room, strength coaches, and the latest research. Thanks, Drew, for helping athletes get better and taking time to be on the show. What's awesome about here is we have like four or five strength coaches that I learned from, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who are super, super smart. So I learned a ton about programming from them. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, Teddy is there once a week and we, we have weekly meetings and stuff like that. So it's not like I'm, you know, missing the ball with, with learning at all. Sure. Yeah. I just started at a facility that has strength coaches there and it makes such a difference with, uh, getting new ideas, learning about programming, um, and just kind of see where their head's at with things. I think sometimes with therapists, we kind of all get in the same rut of this is what I think this is what I do. This is what I read. This is what I learn. And then with strength coaches, sometimes you just, or like personal trainers, you just get like a way different uh, viewpoint on it. And I think it makes you such a better therapist. Absolutely. When I um, when I did one of my rotations, at champion up in Boston, mm-hmm. um, I lived with the the head strength coach there, and oh, uh, wow. he, you know, I I learned so much about. Obviously, I learned a lot about PT when I was there because it's all baseball. But um, I think what I took the most out of that place was the strength and conditioning side. So, and I program kind of with that a lot with my athletes. Do you ever struggle with? Um certain exercises that might be better in a rehab setting versus a performance setting. And the one that comes to mind for me is like open kinetic chain, uh, leg extension. I think like it's a great exercise for rehab. I don't know how well, uh, it would be transferable to sport. So sometimes I struggle with, is this helping cause on the rehab side or is this, am I not doing this because I don't think it's a good performance exercise. Um, I think back, I was talking to somebody back about this the other day. I got, we finally got a knee extension machine in our office. So I was mm-hmm. pumped. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure you were the same way, but I used to be all about functional, 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 kind of like that, yeah. where, you know, it doesn't correlate over to, you know, sport. But then I started jumping into, um, Eric Mira stuff. Mm, yeah. And he's huge on, you know, it's quad till it's not the quad. And, um, you know, with a knee extension machine, it seems like it's not super functional, but if you can't, you can't get your quad back in general after a surgery. You know, you're not going to be able to do the, the functional exercises anyway. So he, he thinks it kind of mit- imitates a little bit of how you're going to land from a jump or decelerator anyway. So I, I, I don't struggle with that at all with open chain. I think it's just super, super important. And some of our strength coaches now have already tried to come in and 
<laughs> start using the machine a lot too. Nice. It's good to see that they're kind of buying into that as well. I think it's this context, right? Like time and place for it. Are you going to use it all the time? Is it going to replace squatting? Is it going to replace plyometrics? Like, no, obviously not. But is it when you're after surgery and the quad's not firing, you need to get it or you need to get it working better. It's a great, it's a great solution to that problem. Yeah. And they like to use it too for now for, you know, in season with basketball, like mm-hmm. tower, they get a lot of people who have a little bit of tower tendon issues. Um, so just general kind of loading without pissing the tendon off. When did you start working at healthy baller? Uh, June. So I'm still pretty fresh. And how's that been in a non-traditional therapy setting where you have strength coaches, where you have, you know, ample amounts of turf where you have a full weight room. How has that been for you? It's been great. I mean, it's, um, you know, pretty much a dream, right? The last job I had was insurance based. So I was the main, you know, Alyssa and I were the main like sports PTs mm-hmm. and I was young. I was less than three years out. So I had nobody really to learn from. So having the luxury of, you know, obviously working with Teddy and Wesley and, you know, all these other great therapists and then on top of that having the strength coaches that you know they're young they're they're hungry they're you know they're still learning a ton so it's to have those in-house is huge and then the same side of it i get a lot of patience because they're, they're training a lot of people and then whenever they're you know somebody's hurt or they come to me i can collaborate with them literally just walk upstairs and talk to them about hey let's do this in their session or don't let them do this in their session or let's go they're going to back off and go once a week with me, once a week with you. So mm-hmm. it's a nice, uh, it's 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 a pretty much a dream come true when it comes to the collaboration of working with athletes because you know I think it optimizes their experience a little better and makes them a little more prepared for their demands. I like that athlete experience part. I saw a tweet uh, a couple months ago, but it said if you're, and this might have actually been from Teddy. Um, it said if you're. Uh, if you don't want to work out of your clinic, why do you think the athletes you want to work with are going to come there and get PT there? And I thought that was in 2022. I think that that resonates a lot because I think you need, you know, more of a full weight room. You need some areas to do acceleration, deceleration drills. You need, uh, just more, there's better technology out there to use in therapy. And I think if you have access to that, you can give much better care to athletes. And if you're in a, Unfortunately, if you're in like a traditional PT clinic that doesn't have much, I don't think you can give the best care anymore. So it seems like you guys have solved that problem at Healthy Baller. Yeah. And one thing I learned too, I think I, this is, you know, three, four years ago when I was a champion with Mike Reinald, he always said, um, you know, you, you, he was even talking about them where people would have a PT clinic and put a squat rack in there. Um, you know, and it still looks like a normal PT clinic, but it has, you know, he has your weights in the corner or whatever, but again, that's not somewhere where somebody's going to want to work out or stay after they finish. Mm-hmm. He said the best model is, you know, have a gym, have a PT room inside of a gym. So, you know, it makes it, it again, it goes back to that experience thing. And if you, if you, it looks like you're walking into a, a PT facility, um, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make you want to just throw a bunch of weights up. It's a little bit different, but if you see some people coming in there and they're, they're already training or they're lifting, you know, it gives you a little more, I think, desire to want to, to want to lift. 
What was it like being a student around uh, an industry leader like Mike Reinald or Lenny Macrina? How was that for you? Uh, it was very, it was very humbling at first. I didn't want to talk. I'm a big talker. And I, was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty quiet at first. Um, yeah. Then I, I opened up pretty good, but it was, you know, whenever you're in a cash-based model like that as a student, you know, I'm sure that you had some clinical rotations that you had that you're at with, you know, an insurance model where you get a full caseload. Mm-hmm. Um, there you don't get a full caseload. And I've kind of modeled that myself with my students because I think I learned, I don't know if I you know, say I learned more, but I learned a ton more because I got to sit back and watch and um, learn more about the cash model. But mm-hmm. you also get to sit back and listen to those guys talk. Like, I think what people think with, you know, industry leaders like that, that they do stuff that's so advanced that that's not how they work. Like they are so simple and simplistic with their approach. Um, sometimes to not to a fault at all, but it's, it's so crazy how well they do with that. Keeping things so simple that I've tried to model that as much as I can. Um, but they do so well in the education part. And I think I've learned more about how, how they educate people on timelines or processes of, you know, injuries and stuff like that, that, um, I try to model as well. So, you know, I think the biggest thing I took from them is, you know, being simple and trying to lay out process for processes for people, um, and then set expectations and, you know, people will trust in you. The education part is absolutely critical. I was just thinking of, uh, the football game, uh, the Rams, uh, Rams Cardinals game and cam Akers came back after six months after Achilles, uh, repair, and I think people see that. And then there was an instance in the in the Olympics last year. Someone came back after like three months or some like insane number. And I think, unfortunately, that kind of sets the new bar for people. Like, oh, like Achilles, six months. And the the classic Agent Peterson, nine months after ACL, he wins MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that education piece uh, for timelines has to be... First of all, it has to be right away. It's like, hey, this is what you can expect. Here is early. Here is typical here's late. And and these are the things we're trying to work towards. These are our, our checkpoints. I think that part as a therapist is so critical in this day and age where we have so much information out there, but it's not always the best information or the right information for that patient. So it seems like you take a lot of time to explain to your patients. This is what you can expect working with me. And this is a kind of what you can expect for a timeline getting back to the activities and sports that you want to do. Yeah, I think I think laying, the, the best you can lay it out, the better, in my opinion, mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned, because then they don't have, you know, obviously they're going to have questions and they're going to, kids are going to pry at you and pry at you and pry at you. Um, but if you set the expectations and you continue to talk about them um, throughout the process, I think it, it carries over a little better. Um, yeah, obviously, again, like as you've seen, parents can be a little bit demanding in regards to getting back. <laughs> That's but, a polite way to. That's a polite way to put it. <laughs> my <have> parents. <laughs> sorry, parents. Everyone. My yeah, sorry, parents. parents. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and, and, but with me, it's even it's even better because I also have the the strength coaches that help me out too. So, mm-hmm. but I you know I try to use research as much as I can without putting people to sleep. Um, but I also try to use return to play testing. Um, instead of saying a specific timeline, I give them. You know, my, I might spit a, a, a nice little research blurb about to them about, you know, seven times increased risk of injury if you go back before nine months type thing with ACL. 
Um, but I also mentioned that it doesn't matter what the time is. If you don't pass, you know, you go through all this criteria, you don't pass these type of things that I'm not going to be comfortable with letting you go back. Can you expand on some of those objective measurements you are looking for when an athlete with a lower extremity injury wants to go back to sport? Yeah. So, I mean, the easy ones for, for me to talk about would probably be the ACL, but I still, you know, listen, I were talking about this the other day. She has a hip patient, you know, talking about how we can return to play test a hip patient. And I think it can be pretty similar in regards to um, ACL. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, the quads a little different and the hamstrings a little different, but I really like, you know, for ACLs and knees, I really like the single leg hop, the triple hop, but I don't use those, you know, by themselves because, you know, as we know, I think those, those tests are more, you know, horizontal and you can really cheat with your hip. So mm-hmm. I really like the vertical hop test. Um, I use, you know, we have the luxury here of having the force plates. So I like to use those, but nice. I mean, I've, I've used as simple as a, a jump mat or, I know some people use them. I think it's called my my jump app or something like that. But mm-hmm. in that newly research out there, the vertical jump is a little more correlation to knee and quad strength than the um, triple one and single leg hop. Um, I also like to use we do inline dynamometer with the quad. Uh, try to do it at sixty degrees. We obviously want to be you know above ninety. I we hope strive for you know above ninety three or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also do, if it's a hamstring graph, we do, we do the hamstring as well. We have a Kaiser, which is nice. So we can do, we can set it up like a long arc quad on that and we do power. So our, our way of doing power is we pump it up to, you know, say 50 pounds on the Kaiser and they do three hard kicks. So you kind of see what their power output is on their non-involved side and then compare mm-hmm. to their involved side. So it's a little more power based. Um, which actually when in times where we've tested that and people go do the biodex, we've had, now this is not research driven here yet, but, um, it has correlated a little bit to the biodex, which is kind of good. So, mm-hmm. and sometimes people could say it might be even harder. So I'm, I'm okay with it being a little bit harder. Um, and then I also do the side hop test. So the 40 centimeter side hop test. So you have piece of tape, 40 centimeters apart, and you try to go back and forth as many times as you can. Um, and if you hit the tape or you're inside the tape, it doesn't count, but you want to think the number for males is like 55 or something like that. But I normally just do, you know, limb symmetry. So where they could compare to the other side. Um, but in regards to any, I think those work for, you know, any lower extremity, but if you want to do, you know, for hips, say you, maybe you'll check hip flexion, 90, 90 hip flexion, or, you know, simple on the, on the table. I've done that with dynamometer where you're, you're, you're doing a straight leg raise and then raise your leg up and you hold the dynamometer, just checking different ranges of hip flexion for the hip or hip mm-hmm. abduction. But you know, I think it kind of depends on what you have and what their sport is. And, you know, use the eye test as well, or use the eye test as well to see what they've kind of gone through. And then I can't forget about the, the ACL RSI, um, the psychological aspect of ACL, but I think we could probably use those type of tests with any lower extremity, to be honest. I'm glad you brought up the, the the psychological part because that is absolutely critical. We're understanding more of that lately, and I think that is a a piece of the pie, right? We have our objective testing, we have our subjective testing, and the psych piece uh, absolutely matters. 
Do you find that athletes, the ones that are, they test out that they're ready to go back, they have a good sense of that? Or is there usually a disconnect between how they think they're doing and how and what reality shows them? Um, so I have, it's kind of separate sometimes. So like mm-hmm. early on, I would have people, if I just did it to them later on in rehab, they might have a disconnect where, you know, they might be testing well, but they, you know, psychologically don't feel quite ready. Um, but ever since then I've tried to test them more often throughout the process. And mm-hmm. then that way we can have that dialogue of, Hey, you know, what are you not feeling comfortable with? What do you, you know, what are you scared of? Or, you know, these type of things. And then we can kind of address those things. So like, so a lot of people, their biggest thing is that whatever motion, say it was a, a breakdown into a cut or something on the field where they, you know, they tore it. And that's the main thing they're scared of. Um, you know, slowly getting back into that a little bit to make them feel more confident. Um, and again, testing throughout the process that way, you know, it's not a blindside test at the very end and they never right. seen this psychological test. Um, it's kind of like in school, you, you know, your teachers teach you for the test. <laughs> so, um, and again, if you don't want to just do that, but I yeah. think, I think the more you can expose them to you know, what they might be or the thoughts of what they're scared of or what they're, you know, psychologically not ready for, then you can kind of address that a little more and they do a little bit better. But when I have people who sometimes it's the, it's the opposite where they come in, you know, since we're a cash-based model, we get a lot of people sometimes, you know, five, six months out and they come from a clinic where that was insurance-based and they've been told that, that I hear it all the time, like the, they, they tell me that the PT can't push them anymore and you know, they're pretty much ready and they come and I test them out a little bit and I give them that test, the ACL RSI and they're a hundred percent. And then I have them, I test them out and they look like crap. I mean, they not terrible, but they don't look, you know, near ready where they should be. Right. Um, and then after that, if you test them again, then the number goes down. So I think it just kind of depends on the rehab provider too. And in, in, in a little bit of a sense, one of the challenging things of our profession are people or patients, they come in and they have expectations. They might expect, hey, like I'm going to get my neck massage today for my therapist or, hey, I'm, you know, six months out from ACL and I'm going to go back to sport next week or, hey, I'm coming in and I expect you to fix me. Right. Like People have expectations. And as healthcare providers, we need to, you know, fulfill those expectations to some degree, but we also want to provide what we think is the best care for them. And those two things don't always align. What we think is best doesn't always align with what they expect. How do you handle that discrepancy between those two things? I think I saw that a lot more when I was in the insurance model, whenever you know people came in that, that okay. I saw, I saw more of, um, you know, general outpatient orthopedics. And I think you could probably vouch for this too. When I first came out of school, I'm sure you're the same way, but you know, right when you hear something about say, you know, putting joints back in place with the manipulation or, you know, massage and adhesions and that type of stuff, I would completely debunk it right off the bat. Like they couldn't say one more word. I would just stop them in their tracks and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And now I've kind of learned that, um, you know, if you listen to people a little bit more, and just kind of hear them out and kind of like find your little entry point every, every once in a while. Um, you know, like somebody, I had a new patient last night 
who, um, you know, I still see general outpatient stuff as well, but, you know, you have more time to talk now when you're one-on-one for an hour. But, um, you know, I had this patient last night was mentioning that, you know, he was told in his three past experiences with PT that his core was weak. Um, and, and his core led to his back and his shoulder pain. And, you know, again, before I've been like, that's just not true. That's not true. You know, your core's not weak. Look, you're sitting up straight. You're not falling over. Um, if, if that was the case, your core is weak. You just fall over. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of, I, you know, sometimes I'll ask, like, what do you, what do you think is going on? Or um, when, uh, what do you think? Do you think that's helped? Um, and then I kind of mentioned a little mm-hmm. bit, too, of the regard of, um, you know, if, if, do you, if, the, if that helped you, you know, do you think that's more of a short-term or a long-term, you know, mm-hmm. option? Um, and then I kind of, that's where my entry point gets into it. Now, if they completely like, or like stare at me and they're looking at me like I'm crazy, then I won't <laughs> go and then I won't yeah. go any, I won't go any farther that day. But you know, if they're, you know, they're in, interested and they're, you know, they're asking questions and I'll, then I'll get on the topic of, you know, in, you know, insensitivity, I'll talk about pain being more of like a sensitivity. And when, when you're having pain for such a long period of time that, um, you know, it's more of your body's better at producing it. And I'll use the analogy of, um, like a pain threshold. So when you're, when you get over this pain threshold, so many times your body gets so used to having that, that it takes less for you to get over that threshold. Mm, nice. And then I, and then I, I use that in regards to like, if you're always getting these kind of passive, you know, modalities, you know, those are good and they're short term and you're going to feel better, but it's not helping you kind of decrease that, um, that threshold where you can do more without having that pain. So it's, you know, it's a, it can be a two way street sometimes of finding your entry point. But I think, you know, when you just you kind of got to read your patients and actually, as Adam Meekins always says, you got to listen, just listen to your patient and then, and then curse at him like him. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. but you didn't find your entry point And then, you know, don't necessarily downplay the experiences or the treatment they've had or the expectations they have. But mm-hmm. again, you know, hear them out. I hear them out and I find these little entry points to talk about it. And then, you know, I, I used to really get on research topics. I'll just be like, you know, this paper back then would said this and that's not true and all that stuff. But now I just, I don't, I don't go crazy with interrupting them with those regards, but I do try to at least talk to them about, short-term, long-term effects and, you know, what we do know that works and what can help them more in the long run. I have found for me when I first meet a patient, it's like we're trying to get on the same team. So, like, if they give a little bit and I give a little bit, like, let's get on the same team first. Let's get in the same boat and, like, let's just get moving in the right direction. And then later on, you can bring up some of that. Well, that's not exactly how it works. Like, hey, this is what this research shows. They kind of know, like, and trust you a little more. So it's easier to kind of bring them to what you think is the best course or the best knowledge or the best the best way to view a certain point. Um, but, yeah, I, I did the same thing as you. It's like uh, on the eval, I'd be like, no, nope, like, your hip doesn't come out or no, nope, like, <laughs> uh, soft tissue stuff, like, isn't going to work for you. And they just kind of, they just, they're like, they, they don't even know who you are. Right. And, exactly. and then it's like, okay, of course they're not going to listen to you. So I have been, and it's hard because we, you and I, like we spend so much time learning about this stuff 
educating yourself about the stuff, like practicing it. Like we want to be helpful, but I think uh, getting some of that experience really helps with understanding how can I connect with this patient in the long term, not just in this you know one hour session, but over the next couple of weeks and months, how can we get on the same team and get the best result uh, together, collaborating together? Yeah, definitely. It's all about it's all about a team effort, and I you know I I tell people my phone's always open. Or on. Mm-hmm. So if you, you want to talk to me, if you have questions at all, please reach out because, you know, if they feel like, I feel like that's helped me a lot, you know, as you know, my last job, I said, don't give your number out, don't give your number out. But I think, you know, people who are having issues, if they feel like that you're that invested in them and they trust you a little bit more that you answer a couple of questions here and there on the weekend or something. But as long as you're, you know, you're open to talking to people and you're, on the same page, no matter what that page is, they trust you and it, and it helps. How do you like working in a cash-based model for physical therapy? I love it. I, I, I don't think I'd ever go back to the insurance model, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, you know, I think it's, and it's not for, it's not for everybody and it's not for every location. You know, some mm-hmm. people, obviously it does can cost a little bit more, but I think, um, that only goes to a certain extent. Like so I was talking to somebody about this the other yes. day and sometimes, sometimes the insurance model that people think, Oh, I'm in network. It's not going to cost that much. Or, you know, I, I might have to pay a little bit of a copay, but that's it. But you know, in a, in, a, in insurance model, I know people, people will come in even when I was there and they get a fat bill, you know, and mm-hmm. they didn't even expect it because they might be coming three times a week compared to one time a week in cash based. Um, you know, they're not getting the quality care that they, they could because the therapist has seen two or three people at once. Um, so I think, I think it ends up being pretty similar. Now, if you're a post-op, obviously it's a little bit different. You're coming more often. Um, but with somebody with a general, you know, outpatient type pain, I think it's inevitable to do some, find somebody who is a little bit more of a specialist. I think you're going to have more of a, you know, success, um, because you can spend more time together. And then, you know, if you're in a clinic, there's, there's cash-based clinics that are not just, you know, sports related too. I think you can find mm-hmm. a cash-based model um, that fits your needs and you can have a little bit more care or individualized care and you can have more time. So in that regard, I think it's, it's, it's awesome. And I, again, I don't want to go back, but I think it's, I think it's great. I think the biggest issue people have is they think cash-based PT is going to cost more. And yep. last year I went to, I went to PT for my hip and the eve, I went to somewhere through my insurance as a therapist that I really liked and she helped, but it was, it was like $300 for the eval and that was with insurance. So it's not always, and then, yeah, like you said, like if you have a surgery, um, like if you have surgery through insurance and you have a lot of PT and you hit your deduct, you know, if you, if you hit your out-of-pocket max, then like, yeah, like it might save you money in the long term. But if you have like one or two visits, like cash-based model isn't always a more expensive option. And if they get you better, it doesn't matter like where you go. If the therapist, if you know, like, and trust them, if they get you better faster and you have a better experience, it's absolutely worth it, right? So I think that's, that's the, that's something I want people to know. And it doesn't, you know, at the end of the day, do you like your therapist? Are you getting better? Do you feel confident in the plan? 
And it should matter a little bit less of what clinic you're at. Um, are they cash based or insurance based? But finding those good therapists. And it seems like a lot of good therapists are switching over to the cash based model, which is really cool to see because we get a little bit more autonomy with, with what you want to do, what you want to provide, how often you want to see your patients. And I'm sure someone like you, you really like that autonomy. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think I had a, I had a good amount of autonomy in, in the insurance model. But again, you know, it's not not quite this. It's not quite the same in regards because you can you, know, you got to see more people. But again, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you talk about it's about who you see. It's not necessarily always about where you go. I mean, there's good therapists everywhere. So do your research and, you know, find people that specialize in things that you, you know, you, you're looking for. And I think you'll do just fine. But I think, again, I will you know, always kind of pick the cash based model in general now from being in it because I think you have more, more, uh, you know, individualized aspect of it because you have more time together, but you can still get better in, in a regular insurance based model for sure. Going back to your setup at healthy baller, I think a lot of therapists spend a lot of time building connections with surgeons, which obviously makes sense. That's a great way to get an influx of patients, especially patients with with surgeries or, or conditions that you want to see. But I don't know how much emphasis there is out there with therapists building connections with strength coaches. I think a lot of time uh, therapists work with an athlete, and when they're done with the PT, they just kind of go back to what they were doing, whether they had a good uh, strength coach or, or strength program in plan or not. And it's, it's kind of just left up to the athlete. Um, how has that been building connections with the strength coaches you work at with Healthy Baller? Um, so with Healthy Baller, it's been super simple. Um, you know, even with, again, like we talked about earlier, with people who are going to go back to train, so say they say they were training with Kane or Justin or somebody in our clinic or our facility and they, they, they injured themselves and they're with me, you know, it's super simple to talk with them about, you know, we, we try to, we try to not hold them from training because there's so many things you can still do in training in general. Um, so we try to, I try to talk to them as much as I can about, you know, what they still can do, um, which has been nice. And then, you know, if people who are, we even do it sometimes where it's later stage ACL where, you know, I, I wish more people did this. And again, I can't say you should do this. You should do this because I'm in a situation where it's easy to do, where we mm-hmm. literally work in the same facility, yeah. but in stage ACL, like I'll have, you know, maybe at the very end where it's, you know, nine, 10 months where they're back into their sport and they're doing a little more, you know, they're doing a little more activity and you know higher level cutting and i'll have one session with me and then one session with kane or justin in that way they're doing more the they're doing more of the higher level movement because there's another therapy or another um, kid there with them so they can do more you know reactive stuff in that in that regard too um but even whenever i was in st louis about the insurance model i was always trying to find strength coaches that we could um collaborate with and mm-hmm. we had a good connection too with, you know, the we with our our uh, company owned the athletic trainers at local high schools. So if somebody mm-hmm. was going back, somebody was going back to sport, it was it was easy to talk with um, the athletic trainers and say, hey, they can do this or they can do this, and then help them get back into a strength program with their their strength coaches too. Most of the schools 
now, I think. I'm not sure how it is there, but a lot of the schools now do a lot of their strength conditioning inside the um, or at school. So if you can get in with those strength coaches and talk to them about, you know, and again, some some strength coaches are they like don't step on my toes, don't you know, this is my job, not your job. But you know, just finding that in with them where you can talk to them about, hey, they they can do this now, they can do this now, they they're okay to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And even I've gone to the I've gone to the extent back in when I was an insurance model of just writing a two day strength program for them. So if they didn't have a strength coach or they weren't working at the gym, I would just write a simple, you know, two day workout for them at the gym. And then maybe one of my sessions that week or whatever, we went over that, that way they knew exactly what they, those exercises Mm -hmm. were and what they were like the expectations were, because if you just give a kid an exercise program without going over it, um, they're going to be like, what was this again? What was this? So oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. So I always had them write, like I'll print it out, have right on the side of the exercise write something on this that makes you understand or remember what it is. So that, that helped a lot too. Um, but again, I have the luxury now. It's just, it's almost not fair to have everybody in house like that. And just super simple to talk to them about, you know, what they do, what they, um, what they can do and they trust me and I trust them. So it's not one of those fighting back and forth type things. It's amazing to me how many patients come in and I'll be, all right, we're going to do like, we're going to do like a split squat, like go grab some dumbbells. And they're like, and I'm like, we're going to do it. We're going to do eight reps each leg. And they look at me and they're like, how much weight should I use? And it just like, it's like, to me, it's like, you don't know how much you can squat. Like, you don't, you've never, <laughs> I just like forget. Like sometimes like kids haven't worked out or uh, patients haven't done this exercise before. And I think kind of going back to that piece where like you're laying out the program if you write down something that seems obvious to you, like, oh, split squat, three by eight, they might, a kid might read that and be like, I have no idea what that means. Like, what's a split squat? Like, what do I use? Do I use a bar? Do I use dumbbells? Is my foot on the ground? Three by eight? What is that? Is that three reps <laughs> of eight sets? You know, like things like it's so what we see as, as simple and, and uh, elementary to us because we've done it for so long. Uh, sometimes I forget that and it humbles me. It's like, okay, we got to step back. I really got to communicate to you. What do I expect? Where are you at? Here's here's uh, progressions going forward. But it seems like you take time in the session to do that, to set up your kid or your athletes, per se, uh, for better success down the road. Yeah. And I think, again, like you said, it's, it's you, you're surprised at what people don't know. Like, say you have a kid for nine months or 10 months or whatever in a rehab program, yeah. and you've done a split squat or a, you know, a rear foot elevated split squat literally 100 times. Like, they don't know what it's called. Like I don't just tell them, you know, obviously sometimes I do, sometimes I do. Um, but sometimes they don't. And, you know, I, I don't always just say, Hey, let's do a rear foot foot squat or let's do a skater squat down to two pads or whatever. You know, I, I'm, I'm writing it down in my, on my computer, but I'm not Mm -hmm. necessarily always saying, Hey, let's do this. So they don't always know what it is. But once I write it down and spend a session talking to them about it, they're like, Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Oh, Oh, okay. So they, they, it comes back to them, but if you just hand it to them or, or email it to them, they're lost. And then, I'm, I mean, we were high school kids, especially high school, <laughs> high school males, you know, our, our minds all over the place and we're not very, not very motivated in, in, in the weight room. A lot of the times I think, you know, obviously more kids are now, I hope, but I know I wasn't, I didn't care about that type of stuff. So the more detail you can give them, if you're going to give them a home program, the better. And I think it definitely is perfectly fine to miss 
a strengthening session. Now you can still an insurance model, you can still have them stay longer than an hour, right? You can let them hang mm-hmm. out there, but I think it's way more important to spend your time, maybe one session to show them those things that way they can do it on their own more. Cause maybe they're, they're out of business or whatever, but I think that's super beneficial. Uh, sometimes I just laugh to myself. I spent a lot of time, uh, thinking about or reading or even arguing about unilateral squats versus bilateral squats. And I'll ask an athlete, all right, do you want to do like split squats or you want to do just like a normal squat? And they just look at you. They're like, I don't care. And it's like, (laughs) I forget you guys don't like spend like all your free time looking at this stuff. So, and then, and then they, they just want to get better. Right. So they don't care how to get, they don't care necessarily how so much they just want to get better. And they just want like your best. So like, give them your best. Like, don't, you don't have to like over explain like, okay, you know, we're doing unilateral stuff, bilateral because this is like, some of these kids, they just want to get back to their sport. They don't care as much like how they get there. And like you said, like high school males, like all you care about is like hanging out with your friends, playing sports and like eating food, right? Like, yep. Junk food. You got it. (laughs) Junk, junk food for sure. Um, Another uh, topic of interest to me is when we talk about reduction of injuries or like ACL prevention, right? Like, I know we can't prevent injuries, but whatever word you want to use for that. And I think therapists really try to take that on, but we're not in always the best situation to do that because we're always seeing people reactively after an injury. So we can, we can help reduce the likelihood of a second injury, um, but a lot of that really comes down to the strength coaches and the sport coaches. But I think we're in a position to educate those coaches on the importance of good training programs, of um, any injury reduction strategies, any educational research topics on that. What have you done in your career to help others understand the importance of good training in order so that you don't have to see them on the back end for therapy? Um, are you talking more like regards of ACL or just in general? Uh, let's um, ACL. If, if you've had experience with that, correct. Um, so Wesley and I are, are currently right now we're he's done it before, but we're going to do, you know, again, we never call it prevention by any mm-hmm. means, but like, we're going to try to do, we have a, there's a soccer club around here that had, I mean, I think, I think at one time, maybe five ACL tears. Oh my gosh. Um, and I think a lot of it, you know, I, I kind of don't fight myself, but I, I think about this a lot. You know, we think about what, like, why do these things happen? And obviously we had all the papers and like the, the, all the Tim Hewitt papers of all the, you know, different biomechanics of things that can happen with an ACL. And we know the first 20, 30 degrees of knee flexion that happens. Um, and it's normally on single leg or with a landing or a cut. Um, but you, and you look, and you look at these, these crazy, we talk about strength, how important strength is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see these crazy strong NFL athletes that do it. Right. So I, I go back and forth of what the main, you know, how to, how do we stop these? I don't think we can necessarily just stop them, but I think for younger athletes, I think the best thing they can do is probably be in a strength program. Right. Um, I think, you know, at, it, in the stuff type of stuff, Wesley and I are going to do, it's, you know, jumping in landing type stuff, like getting better at decelerating, getting better at, you know, your single leg landing type stuff just being more aware of your body in general. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it also comes down to, to training load. I mean, these soccer kids that tear all the time are, I mean, they literally never do any strength training. Um, yep. And if you, if you mention it to some of their coaches, sometimes, you know, they're like, no, we can't take away from their practice. But I think it's super, super important to, 
you know, and not even just like split squats and, you know, split squats are important, but I think more unsupported quad strength is, is probably super important to get a little bit more aware of, you know, how that eccentric control, um, you know, some more like pistols and more skater squats, you know, I use the wall a lot, like back against the wall with their, their heel elevated. So it's like more just isolated quad. I think throwing those things in there a little more can be super beneficial. And if you, you know, some of these trainers and strength coaches might have great intentions and they're, they're doing these things, but the hard part is they have a big group and they can't watch every single person. So mm-hmm. like sometimes I'll see a big group and they're doing like single leg pistols to a box. And, and again, I don't think this is a, injury purpose but you'll see their knee go straight in right and i'm not like i used to be like the big no valgus guy but now i obviously i'm not too worried about that and my my line now is you know if you let your knee go in you're not I, you're not really getting a lot of the quad you're taking the load off the quad mm, we yeah wanna, we want to load that quad and if your knee kind of is always going straight in you're kind of offloading that so the better hit the quad it's better to kind of you know go kind of straight down over your toe um in that regard. So not, not mainly an injury purpose, but more of a loading purpose. Um, but again, you know, they have so many, they have so many kids, they got to watch. It's hard to keep work. You know, again, we go back to the high school kid, right. You know, how much are they really paying attention? They're talking to their friends and they're just repping out as many reps as they can. <laughs> yeah. Or, or as much weight as they can. It's like, Oh sweet. I'm doing this with, you know, 55 pound dumbbells. It's like, it looks terrible. And like, you're not doing it right. And, just educating them like let's try to do this as best as you can not with you know because when you're 17 you just you just want that big number right so exactly i think i think too you know in a lot of the papers so like the i think it was the pep and you know the fifa and all those things they have shown to actually help the issue is having time for the coaches to implement it you know like again you go back to these everything is so time-based now and everybody's always in a hurry and they have only so much time so those papers that have shown injury reductions and ACL reductions um, that have worked, they have a lot of, you know, your quote unquote neuromuscular drills. So like you're, you're jumping, you're bounding, you're landing, um, your jumps to sticks, those, those type of things. Um, but again, people aren't implementing as much as we thought they would probably because it takes time to do them. So, you know, it can take 10 to 15 minutes sometimes and their coaches are like, we don't have that time. So I think one thing we're going to try to do is try to make it, you know, something more along the five minute mark where it's more part of their warm up instead of mm-hmm. being, instead of being this whole drawn out process and then trying sure. to, trying to get people, you know, these, these coaches to allow their kids to do more strength training too. Right. Cause if you can make changes with five minutes of a practice, then the buy-in is going to be there for other things down the road where, okay, we're going to increase this next year to 10 minutes. So we're going to have them do off-season training with you guys. I think just get anything's better than nothing, right? So if you can get a little bit of headway with them, even if you reduce their their injury rate by one kid or by 10%, it makes a huge difference for that one kid or for the 10% that didn't get hurt. So it seems like you guys are doing a lot of things to be proactive, which is awesome to see. Is there anything else down the road uh, professionally in the next couple months that you are looking forward to? I think uh, the biggest thing for us professionally, I mean, um, we're going to hire another therapist here coming up, hopefully at Healthy Baller Virginia. So um, that's the biggest thing I'm looking forward to. And I want to be, 
you know, as a clinic director, I think I was going to be a clinic director back in my insurance model, but you know, being a clinic director in an insurance model compared to the cash base is a lot less stressful or it's a lot more stressful, I think, but Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be fun to have, you know, eventually have another therapist and I like to teach, man. So, I mean, I like to spend time and I think I learn better and I, I think I help my patients better sometimes when I have people there learning from me because I, I think things through a little bit more and Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, and I think why I'm doing it because I, if I can't explain to somebody that I'm, I'm not really, I don't think I'm doing a good job. I'm just throwing, throwing things at people. So I like to, I like to teach. I like to, um, you know, I like to learn. So I like, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We have a couple things set up with our, uh, our strength coaches to learn more about these force plates that we have. We have the Hawkins Dynamic Force Plates. Uh, I'm really looking forward to learning more about that. There's so many numbers on those things that. It's like way over my head, but I'm um, looking forward to that. So, I mean, there's healthy baller. We're always, we're always learning. We're always, you know, collaborating and in that regard. And, um, you know, I think I, another thing I want to do is get more into baseball around here too. I like, I like treating baseball. So let's hopefully, uh, hopefully that picks up too. Awesome. That's uh, I'm ex- uh, excited for you. Thanks for taking time for being on the podcast, Drew. Appreciate you and uh, good luck in your future endeavors. Thanks, man.